welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and a CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have with me Trisha Swift. Uh, Trisha is a, a nurse by background, doctor of nursing practice with international credentials in safety and management consulting is another thing she does. She's got a really interesting background and of course, informatics. So I'm gonna let Trish do more of the introduction because she'll do a better job than I will. Hi Trish, how you doing? Hi, thanks for having me, good afternoon. Great. Thanks for joining us. If you would, give us a little bit about your background, about how you got into healthcare and informatics. I think it would be really a great, uh, a great start off point. Well, gosh, um, I got into healthcare. I think it was written in my stars. I have a, a family a lineage of, of healthcare providers, particularly nursing. So I, I really looked up to my um, great grandmother and and my mom is um, nursing professionals and and so I've followed in their footsteps. Um, done a lot of different things in in healthcare. Uh, most recently, of course, I'm I'm in healthcare um, software industry. But um, you know, prior to that, I spent about six ish seven years in direct patient care before I became interested in doing something a little bit more broader. Um, left the bedside and, and started to do work in the quality, risk, safety, and, and regulatory world. And when I made this move, of course, my perspective of the healthcare system was literally the brick and mortar of where I worked. Um, and, and of course, my worldview is, is much larger now. But uh, when I was working in those roles in quality and safety to improve health outcomes and, and care delivery processes, I began to face challenges that you know, performance improvement methodologies were just not going to solve. And that that's really when I discovered the um, opportunity to integrate healthcare IT into my approach and really kind of look at that toolbox that the care team members use to do their work. Um, so I just dove face first <laughs> into healthcare IT and informatics, and I, I never looked back. Um, and, and as I moved along, I found myself being much more successful at making an impact in the way that that healthcare was delivered and began to layer on the role of strategic planning and priority alignment onto healthcare operations and then leveraging technology as the, the tool set that enables things to happen. So I guess um, in summary, I've, I've learned that, you know, these three things, you know, practice delivery and, and IT tools and strategy, they all have to be aligned and in balance to make any impact. And Typically, experts in these areas tend to stay in their lane, but for me, I've I found a way to create a more diverse path to follow. And and now here I am. I'm I'm a doctor of nursing practice working for a software company with a management consulting and quality improvement background. So that's where I landed. I found that so fascinating about your your profile because obviously on this show we love talking about informatics. Uh, but informaticians who have left the brick and mortar healthcare, the hospital, the clinic, and are making an impact, that's really interesting. I think a lot of my listeners want to know what else is out there in the world, just to be aware of it. And you bring that perspective, which I think is great. So now you're working for a company called Zomega. Is, is that correct? And what did you find attractive at the software company? 
Yeah, uh, Z Omega is a is a really cool place. I'm I'm so glad that I'm there. Um, it's a it's an interesting story of what led me to the organization, and and it really is just an opportunity for me to grow and expand. My experience was 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 in front of me. So I guess it, it makes sense to kind of start with what I was doing before Z Omega. Um, I was running a consulting firm that I actually founded. It's called Meritlinks Healthcare Consulting, and the firm's primary primary focus was to on the provider segment. Um, so looking at clinics and hospitals, healthcare systems, um, and really helping those organizations better align to the volume to value transition, taking a look at what strategic outlook was required to make that happen. And then finally, what technology tools were needed to position the organization to support that journey to value. So in the midst of this work, I was introduced to the opportunity at Z Omega um, and to do all of those same things, but for the payer segment and also from a technology and innovation lens. So I found the opportunity to be intriguing for me and, and went ahead and took that professional risk and stepped away from Meritlinks, handed over the day-to-day operations of that and and joined the, the Z Omega team. What's been enlightening for me is that um, well, you know, I think de- depending on which side of the industry you're working on, payer or provider, um, they're trying to solve the same problems. And I don't know that they look at themselves as that way because a lot of a lot of the context is more competitive in nature. But payers and providers are trying to solve the same problems, and technology and the role of of informatics in particular is well positioned to bring better cohesion between those two sides to you know kind of develop this better state for collaboration that's all in in the best interest of the healthcare consumers which is which is the customer base for both both sides of the industry. So is Zee Omega a startup or are they more established? They're definitely more established. They um, have been around since 2001. So they're one of the more established companies in the the payer software industry. And I ask because there was an article recently in CNBC that was talking about how miserable clinicians are when they leave the brick and mortar traditional healthcare and start interacting with people who are are software developers and that mindset, the culture, particularly in a startup, I think it's, it's, we got to move, we got to go fast, we got to change things right away. In healthcare, it tends to be a little more slow, methodical, we got to be careful, we're, we're treating patients, and that culture can break down. How have you found the experience working on the other side of the fence? Uh, yes, <laughs> I don't think that that pace of change to move fast and and go 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 is 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 any different in a in a more established um, software company than a than a startup. I think that that entrepreneurial spirit and that that spirit of creativity and innovation remains intact, um, which is what I think is a is a nice draw for clinicians. But you know, <clears throat> so far I would say that the the experience has been very unique for me to join the vendor side. I wouldn't say it's miserable at all. Um, but what, what is true is, is I, I, now that I'm here, I see a need for more clinicians in this space um, for a couple of reasons. One is to offer the end user voice in product development. And, and the other is to be a true patient advocate and offer that perspective 
into the value proposition and the way that solutions are deployed in, into the market. Um, I love working with developers and engineers. I mean, they they make me a better person. They, they, they challenge me to think differently. Um, but it is my opinion that, that they tend to move a bit faster than clinicians do in, in general risk-taking terms. I've found, though, that the voice of the clinician actually helps those technical experts better understand the problems they're trying to solve um, and, and what's intended um, through their solution development and, and, and raising that awareness for their work as to why is this important and what difference am I making? So the clinician's perspective on the vendor side is so essential, in my opinion, of connecting purpose to product development so, you know, the analyst, the software engineer, the data scientist, um, you know, they, they are also in a position to change the healthcare delivery system at the same magnitude as a, as a clinician can. And this is especially true if their work can be informed to have such drive and purpose. So for me, and, and it might be different for others, but for me, I, I find the role of the clinician in the vendor space as one who connects purpose for developing human-centered solutions that can add value and improve health status and kind of tamper down the noise of what tech development looks like. And I consider myself quite fortunate to have a seat at the table on this side of the marketplace, just knowing that things like digital health and machine learning and predictive analytics, all of those things are gonna be driving healthcare transformation into the future. And you know, having my clinical skill sets anchored into that movement is fulfilling and exciting. I think if I, the main takeaway point that I'm going to highlight here is that it's got to be a personality fit. Not all clinicians are going to be built to go into the private sector vendor side and execute really well. That you got to have the right personality for that. Some some providers are very entrepreneurial and more risk-taking and others are definitely more methodical and they want to absolutely plan out every single inch of their of their day and their week and, and sometimes that's just not possible on the vendor side. Had I stepped away from the bedside and gotten into a role like this I wouldn't have been able to um, to make it. I think the journey that I've been on to kind of expand my role as a clinician in the provider space, take on more scope, interact with different types of stakeholders has evolved me into a place where that step into the vendor side was something that made sense for my journey. And it's definitely, I think, from a methodical clinician's mindset is something to work into and, and not, you know, just make a complete 180 pivot. Definitely for doctors, I know that the skills you learn in medical school, in the office, in the clinic, in the OR, don't translate very well immediately into an outside environment. So that transition into an administrative role where you pick up those skills, those leadership responsibilities, definitely has an impact. Uh, so I, th I think your your point of you can't go right from the bedside into one of these things, it's, unless you have a clinical role in that in that company. Um, it's really it does take that transition. So how about how about you personally and your fit and your style? So do you 
feel that you're disrupting the company bringing in these clinical skills or is it just the natural fit this is this is what they were looking for and it's it's just smooth as can be definitely not as smooth as can be i mean we're <laughs> that's not that's a perfect world situation um <clears throat> you know at z omega there's there's already a large team of clinicians and so i was very fortunate to join a company that already had a precedent set for the role of clinicians in in the workplace. And so I am getting to benefit from some of those um, foundational components that my clinical colleagues have made at Z Omega. My role specifically though for the organization is um, transformation and to really um, take things to a different level and work on payer and provider collaboration and take a look at what innovative approaches make sense. And so, um, and, and that's been what I've done in all of my roles. I've always been in a role that's a facilitator of change and improvement. So by nature, um, my roles have been a, a, a positive force of disruption or have been designed to be that way. And, and so um, this idea of, of fitting in uh, is important uh, because I think it's definitely good to build up social capital. Um, that's a currency that you can spend anywhere. Uh, but for someone to take on roles that are focused on transforming and changing and, you know, redefining the fabric of, of the identity, um, you know, I, I have learned over time that just keeping true to myself is the best way to ultimately fit in. Because when you're in these roles that are pushing change and represent something different, something new, um, authenticity and, and genuineness is what's going to build the trust. Um, and, and that's um, especially true when your role is to facilitate internal transformation like mine is. So, you know, I find organizations when they're going through a transformative journey and, and what healthcare organization isn't trying to transform and become more relevant. I mean, we're, we're all going through that journey. There's so much change. You typically kind of see the organization divide into one of three sort of groups. Um, you know, there's there's the group that welcomes the change, welcomes the progress, rises to the occasion. Um, those are the ones to mentor and cultivate and get them plugged in to be more actively involved. The, the other group is a group that for some reason just is resistant to that change. It doesn't want to adopt new ideas or the technology or new approaches. They just don't align themselves to that positive disruption. Um, that could be for ego, for lack of confidence, lack of know-how, whatever it is, they usually find their way out and into a better situation for them. The last group is the group that we all have to pay attention to when we're in a position to facilitate change, and that's the, the folks that aren't going to do neither of those things. They're not going to rise to the occasion. They're also not going to find themselves into a better situation. What they will do is kind of sit and stink up the place um, <laughs> and 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 be a negative uh, voice. And, and so those are the those are the group to focus on um, when you're in a role to disrupt because they can actually get in the way of progress. And for me to fit in, I mean, you know, a lot of folks would try to identify with one of those three groups as a way to build social collateral. Um, but for me, I found the best course of action is to remain consistent in my approach, maintain objectivity, um, and build up credibility and trust for delivering results and having 
um, actions rooted with good intent. That's more important to me than quote unquote fitting in, although that fitting in part will, will organically come as, as trust is developed over time. Absolutely. That makes sense. And I love that line, uh, social capital, a currency you can spend anywhere. That's uh, That resonates. I love that. So I'm going to switch gears on you just a little bit here. The statistics in healthcare IT really aren't all that detailed around what percent are women, but in tech in general, it's around 25%. And I suspect those numbers are similar in healthcare tech. In companies where there are women leaders, there definitely is more upward mobility for women. They, in general, will move up faster and to higher levels. Have you found it a challenge to find mentors or make the connections in the healthcare IT field? Um, yes, I think in healthcare IT and in, and in healthcare in general, which is unusual right because the majority of folks in healthcare are women and so it should it shouldn't be that way but um for some reason it it is and i think it gets more challenging the higher up you go um i think you know what i've just noticed is that it's difficult to to locate or connect with um, women mentors who are truly supportive and encouraging and want to build you up rather than compete with you and 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 tamper down any success that, that, that you gain. And I think this is incredibly unfortunate for the women's movement. Um, you know, I think we're so much more powerful together and in support of each other than we are divided and fragmented because there's not very many of us to begin with. <clears throat> um, I think there's also some confusion among aspiring and established women leaders that might be the root of, of why this is so difficult. And, and that's, um, that that confusion is is rooted in um, that that acting more assertive or cutthroat, I guess, if you will, from corporate, you know, speak or or to even act in, in a very highly competitive way is a strategy to gain more power. And I think that's because our culture and society has defined that power is like a one up type of thing where, you know, power over people is 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 power in a whole way. Um, and the message that women typically get is to be more powerful, you have to act in these ways, and those ways are more associated with the, the masculine um, sort of style. And so when they do this, when they emulate these things, um, they're further stereotyped as, as women in, in leadership roles, and, and they can be stereotyped as being difficult to work with, or not being well liked or, or stereotyped into another five letter word I won't repeat here but um, <laughs> the, the, the truth is that to advance as women and especially as women in healthcare IT as the volume of us gets smaller showing your unique value and perspective um, and showing how that perspective can solve old problems in new ways is a better course of action than forcing yourself to conform to traditional expectations. Um, so I love the quote um, by Gandhi. I have it actually hanging in my office. It's one of my favorite quotes is, you know, be the change you wish to see. Um, you know, be that canary in the coal mine. I think that's what the industry is looking for. Um, for me, I tell, you know, folks that I'm mentoring and I look for women mentors that demonstrate this sort of caution in, in how they conduct themselves, where they avoid falling victim 
to the thought process that being strong is unfeminine and being feminine is weak. Uh, the, I think this puts women in a situation where they're always going to lose. So I look for w- women mentors and, and women to make connections with um, that display their power through influence and collaboration and mutual support rather than showing power over people. These are the women I want to be around. I, I think these are the women that, that make me better. One of the things you said made me think that if someone is very secure in their position, particularly in a mentoring role, that they won't see someone they're mentoring as a threat and try to knock them down. And some of the women mentors that I've worked with are phenomenal and they'll build up whoever's working with them, male or female. Uh, And I think that trait is unique to the person, not so much the sex, although I do think that because women are not getting the same opportunities that they do need a little bit, someone to reach out maybe and someone to, to, to help propel them up. I hear the, the statistic that uh, a woman who's looking at a job, if they don't meet over 80% of the qualifications won't apply. A man, if it's 20%, they say I'm overqualified and will go for it. Uh, and I think that, that mentoring and coaching does help in those scenarios. Have you ever found that you've been passed over for a position or promotion or not considered for something that you said, gee, I, I really am qualified for this. I should have gotten it. Has that ever happened? Oh, yeah. I don't, I'm not alone here. I know that that, I mean, that happens to men and, and women alike. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, having feminine attributes in your leadership style are not exclusive to women. I mean, men also have feminine attributes and women have, have masculine attributes. I think having a nice balance of combination is is where to be. Um, just We've just divided our society in, in, in half and, and have placed, you know, expectations on this group acts this way and that group is supposed to act that way. And when we see them acting um, in ways that don't conform to that, it it doesn't fit what we're expecting. Um, for women in healthcare, I think this, you know, idea of advancing or getting promoted um, is a little bit of a double-edged sword, particularly if you're not a physician, um, and I'm not, so I can I can I can shed some light on this perspective. Um, I've been passed over for career advancements, definitely um, over and above for le- for less qualified men, I would say. Um, and, and, I, and I think I mentioned, I think most women have, they have this scenario. I think it's because the workplace culture is defined to recognize um, masculine qualities as leadership qualities. Um, and so sometimes that can just happen because you just haven't shown your, your value in a way that um, would resonate in those decision makers. The other dynamic is um, for leadership roles in healthcare, At times, I've worked in places, this isn't true across the board, but at times there tends to be a preference for physicians over nurses to take on leadership roles. Um, And, you know, I've experienced kind of being passed over for roles that I'm explicitly qualified for in both my academic preparation as a DNP and my workplace experience, but the preference was for a physician who had no experience in the field at all. I think some of that is rooted in the perception that physicians are better positioned to lead the clinical perspectives of the organization in a way that a nurse is not capable of. And so I think 
as we look into the future and start to define roles and define leadership competencies and business competencies that are required for certain positions, I think it'll broaden the way that we look at who's the right fit for which roles. There are certainly roles that um, physicians should hold and nurses should never hold um, because it's dealing with medical practice and it's more aligned with what they're prepared um, for academically and also from um, the medical community's credibility perspective, no doubt. But there's a lot of administrative roles in healthcare um, that, you know, higher advanced practice nurses are explicitly trained for in their academic preparation, and physicians are not. And so I think there's some teasing out to be done on that just to ensure that we're putting the right skill sets in the right seats and not necessarily focusing on gender or letters behind the name and more looking at what um, intent and roles those people are, are, are supposed to fill for the organization. A um, bit more of a progressive and, and wider viewpoint on that. And I think, I think we'll get there. We're starting to see more nurses take on different types of roles. You know, chief clinical officer, you know, chief quality officer. I think um, you're starting to, to see a variety of folks fill those roles that have been more historically physician-only roles and usually male physicians. Um, so that was a little bit of a long-winded answer to your question, but I just had a little bit of a dual perspective perfect. to share. Yeah. So I see sometimes, I'll hear from colleagues that they feel stuck. They're, they're not progressing. They're not moving up. Take it from the viewpoint of a woman, but it probably applies to men too. Someone who's in the informatics field they want to move up, but let's say their own organization doesn't appreciate their value and they're, they're not going where they want to go. So it's hard to move in informatics because people tend to hire internally. They'll take someone, they'll steal someone from the operations side, give them an informatics hat and say, go, go make informatics better. Uh, what are you seeing or what's your advice to someone who feels that they're not being valued? <clears throat> we're, we're terrible at this in the hospital setting. We promote good clinicians into roles that don't necessarily require you to be a good clinician, um, but you earned your way into wearing a different hat. Um, you know, this, this could even be a case for why it's a good idea to pivot and go get some experience in a startup or, or get some experience and dabble in a little bit of a different field. Um, I think, you know, before you join an organization at all, it's important to understand what the organization values and to measure that against your own personal skill sets so that you can ensure, you know, what I bring to the table is going to be um, consumed by the organization based upon the things they value and where they want to go. And if that match isn't there in the beginning, um, you know, you can, you, you can not join that organization. I think that's a, a good first step is to just ensure that that organization is aligned with your own personal growth strategy. Um, you know, there's that old cliche uh, quote that says, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. And it's true. So if you have your own strategy for what you want to do with your career, have plans for upward mobility on a specific timeline, but that culture is not going to support it. I mean, you got to leave. You can't allow that culture um, to eat what you have planned for your own personal trajectory. Um, 
it is hard uh, to have upward mobility in informatics, particularly. Um, and I think that's because a lot of places struggle to clearly define the role of informatics. Is it quality? Is it IT? It's somewhere in the middle. Are they responsible for CPOE only and nothing else? What is their role? Should we take their perspectives to a higher level of the organization and help it define our strategy? I mean, there's so many places that informatics can be valuable in, but um, if you're an informaticist and, and it's your goal to advance within that lane professionally, I think it's super important to join an organization that either has a well-defined, well-articulated role for that in the organization, or if they don't, they have executive investment to make that so, so that there's a place for you to not only establish roots, but you know, grow and flourish from that. Great, that's really good practical advice. And I've been told similar things by my mentors over the years that if you wanna move up, sometimes you gotta move out. It's just the way it works in business sometimes someone else will see value in you that that they may not see uh, internally and that's okay uh, that uh, you'll you'll if you're not being valued is my advice to my colleagues in informatics that not all organizations value informatics and sometimes you got to find one that does so uh, i think that's that's great advice one last question for you for someone who's new they're interested in informatics they're still working mostly clinical. What advice would you give them to make their first step? My advice for someone trying to break out is to be willing to do work for free. <laughs> and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, what I mean by that is volunteer to be on the committees, um, get involved in the organizational goals and take a look at those goals and try to determine where informatics can help the organization achieve goals and start pushing that agenda. Um, the first is to prove the value of informatics as a whole, but the second is to be, get involved and put your hand um, on the table. And so there's so many committees, there's so many initiatives, improvement groups that are always looking for folks to become involved in, for folks to be champions of, to write blogs and articles about the problems that need solved and how an informaticist can, can help solve it. Um, usually these things are um, extra, right? They're, they're not uh, compensated contributions in, in monetary terms but they increase your visibility, they allow you to collaborate with other stakeholders outside of your um, microsystem that you're working in, and it will also expand your knowledge of operations so that you see how things are put together, you see how things work, and you can also understand and, and appreciate the roles of your colleagues around you. Um, so if you can find some time to do that, uh, you can usually kind of find out um, some of those recruitment efforts for projects, initiatives, and committees, you can usually find that out through um, your quality department, your operations department, or even the, the CNO who um, has a laundry list of goals and objectives to meet. And this goes for physicians, nurses, or, or other um, healthcare professionals. We need that interprofessional learning environment. We need 
multiple disciplines uh, working to improve things within the healthcare system. And um, I'm, I'm only sharing this insight because that's what was successful for me is to just volunteer myself. And, you know, it grows from there. And then people begin to know who you are, find your um, contributions to be valuable. And, and then you'll have to start saying, no, I can't take on anymore because no good deed goes unpunished. But that's a good way to start. I agree. And that's how I got my start. It's a lot of my, a lot of my colleagues got their start. And I was fortunate. The system I worked in did believe in informatics and recognized that I was devoting huge amounts of time like, gee, we, we might actually need to compensate you for some of this work because you can't do your clinical job uh, if you're doing some of these informatics things. And they offered me a position, which I was very pleased. Uh, honestly, it started my career. Uh, but I do know of some of my colleagues who don't ever get that offer. And the organization is very thankful for all of the free time they're getting from that provider for the work they're doing and will continue to take advantage of that. And that's the point where I've given some advice to some of my colleagues of, you know, you might have to get out. It's not that organization is getting the benefit from you. And yes, they'll realize that it stinks when you're gone, but don't even look back. Just if this is your passion and this is what wants, this is what you want to make healthcare better, then you sometimes just got to hit the road. So, well, Trisha, I think this has been a great conversation, a really just a different angle on things than what we normally cover on the show. So thank you for, for being on the show. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. So that's a really good, um, that's a really good place to connect with me. My email address is also super easy because it's T Swift. So I'm the original T Swift um, <laughs> at Z at com. So, um, I welcome, uh, emails as well, but I'd love to connect. I uh, love growing my network and meeting new people. So I would just say, don't hesitate to reach out. I would welcome that opportunity. Are you frequently mistaken for the other T Swift? <laughs> um, no, but I get the comment a lot, um, and I usually uh, tell a little white lie and say that she's my cousin, but she's not. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.